to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. About a year ago, I took my three-year-old to the zoo, and we stopped by the lion enclosure. Now, that's a place I've been a dozen times before with our older children, but this day in particular, I will never forget. One of the young male lions was speaking his mind that day. Every minute or so, he would open his mouth and roar. And each time he did, you felt, you felt it more than you heard it. His voice was so low, the vibrations were so deep, I shook in my core. It was terrifying, frankly. Something inside me said, get the heck as far away from that creature as you can. And so we did. It reminded me of another encounter with a lion that I'd had in my 20s. I had a once in a lifetime chance to go and visit Kruger National Park in South Africa, one of the world's extraordinary nature preserves. It's exhilarating to to have the opportunity to see lions in their natural habitat on the savanna in Africa. But when you drive inside the gate to Kruger, You are made to know very quickly that the balance of power that you are used to as a human has been fundamentally changed. You are in the animal's world. You are there on their terms. Stay in your car, the sign says. Stay in your vehicle. If you do not, the lions will do what lions do. Well, Today's best story ever is the story of a lion encounter. What happens when a person of God comes face to face with a beast? But today's story is about more than lions. It's about what you and I do when we find ourselves in a place where we are no longer in charge, where someone else is setting all of the rules. Daniel is one of the last books in the Hebrew Bible to get written down. By the time Daniel is written, the kingdom of David that we've been hearing about sadly is no more. Foreign powers that they had been afraid of have finally overwhelmed God's people. They have destroyed the holy city of Jerusalem and the temple. They are occupying the promised land. Many of God's people are killed and many more are sent off into exile. This is a time when God's people's lives are fundamentally disoriented. And because they're disoriented, the people are asking some really hard questions. They're asking, God promised us security and land, and now we don't have it. Did God abandon us? Did God go back on God's promise to us? Or perhaps it was we who abandoned our God. Maybe this is our punishment. What do we do now that the the kings who rule over us ask us to serve other gods? Is God even with us in this new place? 
These are the questions that are asked by people who have been scattered and live far away from their home and all of home's familiar customs and traditions. Is God with us in this strange land? This is still a question for theological reflection among our Jewish friends. And the same questions are asked all the time by immigrants and refugees of all kinds. What does it look like? What does it feel like to be faithful when our culture and our faith is seen as strange or even threatening in this, our new home? Daniel, the book of Daniel, is set during the exile of the Jewish people. Actual kings show up in this story. King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who sacked Jerusalem, and Darius, the king of Persia. They symbolize foreign powers who exercise absolute authority over God's people. As Daniel begins, as the story begins, King Nebuchadnezzar has taken some of the young Jewish exiles into his own palace to train them for administrative posts in his own empire. These kings knew it would be helpful to have uh, representatives from the occupied peoples in their own administration. And so Daniel is one of those selected to fill this administrative post. Daniel lives as an outsider and also a bit as an insider at the same time in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. From the beginning of the story, it's clear that Daniel and his Jewish buddies are special. Nebuchadnezzar wants to fatten them all up, so he gives them all rich foods and drinks from his own palace. But Daniel and his boys insist on vegetables and water. They basically insist on keeping a kosher diet. And instead of withering, like everyone predicts these vegans will do, the Jewish boys prove to be the strongest of the lot. The king will try to erase their identities, too, by giving the boys all new names, just like, just like slaves and immigrants and indigenous people in America were given anglicized names so that they would more quickly lose their old self and get absorbed in the dominant culture. But as Daniel goes on, it's clear to the reader that the empire can't just erase and reprogram Daniel's Jewishness. They can't redefine for him what is good and what is right, and what is true. Something of Daniel, something deep in his core, cannot be touched by the king, even with his absolute power. So Nebi, I'll call him Nebi from here on out, Nebi gets hints all along that Israel's God, Daniel's God, is the source of the real power in the story and not him. But, but the king keeps insisting that he's the man. That's what kings do. Daniel predicts to Nebi that his kingdom will come toppling down, but Nebi is so thick, he's so dense, that instead he builds a massive gold statue of himself and tells the people to bow down before it. In one of the most famous passages from Daniel, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, refuse to worship this golden idol, and, and they are sentenced to die for their disobedience. They're going to be thrown into a blazing hot furnace. But by God's intervention, the three boys will walk out of the furnace with nary a hair on their bodies singed. That's a hint about what's coming for Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar dies and a new king emerges. And the new king, whose name is Darius, also finds the wise and wily Daniel to be essential to leadership. So Darius is about to elevate Daniel to be his chief advisor when Daniel's enemies get really jealous and they try to trap him. 
They convinced the king to issue a, a decree, right? A, a royal decree that nothing other than the king is to be worshipped. And they know that Daniel can't help but worship God. So Daniel kneels and prays to Jerusalem, the source of hope and the source of God's power and promise. He does it three times every day. And his enemies catch Daniel kneeling in prayer. Darius, even though he loves and admires Daniel, has no choice. He has made a law and the the king's law is the ultimate authority in all the world. It, It can't be changed. So Darius orders Daniel to be thrown into a cage with the lions. Scripture says Daniel was thrown into the lion's den and a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it. Daniel's fate had been sealed along with the stone, just like Jesus's fate was sealed when the stone was rolled in front of his tomb. Of Daniel, there would be nothing left but bones by the time morning arrived. At the first light of dawn, scripture says, the king got up and went to the lion's den. When Darius came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, has your God whom you serve continually, has your God been able to rescue you from the lions? From the den came a voice. It was Daniel. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Well, the king was overjoyed and and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And then King Darius wrote to all the nations and all the peoples of every language in all the earth. He said, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for that is the living God and will endure forever. God's kingdom will not be destroyed. God's dominion will never end. God rescues and saves. God performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. God has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. This this is the best story ever. It is the word of God for you, the people of God. We say, thanks be to God. It is fair for you to wonder what happened in the lion's den that night. When Daniel was thrown in there, what happened? He landed on the floor. The exit was sealed up with a stone. Surely Daniel heard the heavy breathing of the animals. Did he talk to them? Did they come over and sniff him or even paw him? Could he feel their warm breath on his face? What did happen when God shut the mouths of the lions and preserved Daniel's life? We can only wonder We know that Daniel survived. We also know the story says that this is not just a story about a brave man and big cats. It is a story that leaps out from the pages of the Bible into our present time. What is it like to live in a cultural lion's den? 
What does it feel like when the place where you are thrown threatens to erase the things about you that make you you, your family background, your history, your culture, your values, your faith? That has long been the struggle of the newly arrived residents of our own country, from the early waves of European immigrants to the 20th century's influx of South Asian immigrants to recent experiences of Central American immigrants and refugees from the Middle East and Africa. People arrive here and find a world that is so different than the one that they left. Just like with Daniel, this new place both loves them and needs them and also hates and despises them. It thrives on their hard work and enjoys the prosperity they bring and the the diversity and color they bring, even as it means and degrades and threatens their language, their loves, their very lives. The story of Daniel is a story about being courageous in the face of a, of a dominant culture that, that both needs you and wants to destroy you. Will you adopt its customs? What part of you will you not allow this dominant culture to touch? Living in that kind of world requires that you develop what the great W.E.B. Du Bois called a double consciousness. The scriptures talk about that double consciousness, too, of being in the world, but not necessarily of the world. With this double consciousness, this living in two realities at the same time, you are always aware, always alert to the ways culture tempts or threatens you to give up yourself. A few years ago, when the Black Lives Matter movement was still new, a football player for the San Francisco 49ers decided to sit on the bench during the national anthem. Eventually, he began to kneel during the anthem where all the other players were standing. His name became familiar to many of us. His name is Colin Kaepernick. His protest was expressing a tension that many black athletes feel. On the one hand, they are worshipped for their athletic skills in our culture. On the other hand, as black Americans, they feel the dehumanization for being black in a country that prefers white skin. As a nation, we have long loved to watch black athletes play games, but we've also wanted them to keep quiet while they do so. We've never asked or wanted to hear their voices, especially when their voices interrupt the cultural preferences for whiteness. Just like Daniel, Colin Kaepernick quietly and insistently kneeled in faith. And he too was caught by people who intended to harm him. He did end up losing his job. He hasn't worked as an NFL quarterback since most people feel like there is an unspoken agreement among NFL owners to not hire him. And yet Colin Kaepernick did survive, and some say he even has thrived. He's become a kind of a figurehead for athletes who want to claim their political and social voices. Even at the same time, not many people know the story of Bruce Maxwell. Maxwell was a young catcher for the Oakland Athletics Just around the same time that Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee on the football sidelines, Maxwell 
took a knee on the baseball sidelines during the national anthem for Oakland A's games. He received the same kinds of death threats that Kaepernick received, but he received none of the support. He experienced a kind of a breakdown, a crisis. He eventually found his way to Mexico to play baseball there and has since refused to come back to the major leagues, although no one has been asking. What do you do? What do you do? What are you willing to risk when you find yourself living inside of a culture in which you feel only partially free? When you feel that culture around you beginning to encroach on that core part of who you are, who God made you to be, telling you that part of you has to change or the culture will devour you. This is not an abstract question. Cultures devour people all the time. We as a church try our best to stand up for each other, to stand up for what we call social Justice, when the imago Dei in any of us is threatened, when the culture threatens to diminish us for being who we are, who God made us to be, uh, a woman, queer, poor, Muslim, uh, a, an immigrant, a stranger in this land, that culture does not reflect the will of God for our life together. When some of us kneel in faith and integrity, articulating who we know God made us to be. The rest of us have to stand and protect their dignity. On another level, I want to suggest to you today that all of us should feel a bit like Daniel just for being Christians in this world. I don't want any of you to take on a martyr complex but I do think it's okay for you to acknowledge that simply living in the United States and also trying to faithfully walk in the way of Jesus the Christ requires you to maintain a double consciousness. You know that I myself struggle with the dogmatic quality of, of capitalism. Jim Lawson today called it plantation capitalism. The way this ideology of the market shapes our shared life. We are told we are consumers first and foremost when we know God wants us to be stewards of the whole creation. We are told by our culture we're supposed to maximize our own gain, to look out for ourselves when we know God wants us to pour ourselves out in sacrificial service to each other. We are told we should want things like lower taxes and small government. When I hear God asking us to share from our abundance so that every one of our neighbors can live free from material want. In Daniel's story, King Darius makes a law that forbids worship of anything other than him. And when he does, he, he is setting up a contest of powers. Which is more powerful, the so-called immutable laws of the rulers of the world or the love of God and neighbor that comes to those of us who follow Jesus in the words and deeds and indeed in the death and resurrection of the Christ? Daniel has to be true 
to God. I don't think we can discount how scared he must have been that night when he heard, when he felt the rumble of a hungry lion. It takes great courage to live in this world with our double consciousness, to stay true to oneself and true to one's God when the culture wants to devour you. It takes courage when the time comes to face a power that would be just as happy to destroy you. I think about Daniel hearing the sound of that lion's voice and how scary it can be to face the powers, the powers of this world that would devour us when we try to be faithful to the way of self-giving love. But this story is a story of a God who sees our courage, a God who comes to protect us, a God who even closes the mouths of the lions to preserve the life and the faith of you who do not give up on the way of righteousness. The story of Daniel in the lion's den, of Daniel walking out of the lion's den, this story is the best story ever. Let the people say amen.